everyone. Welcome to another episode of our executive order. My name is Jude and I am here with Ada and PJ. And we're just going to be talking a little bit about what Black History Month means to the AS and going a little bit deeper into, you know, how we can extend the sentiments of this celebratory period to our work throughout the whole year. PJ is joining us from the AS Review, and so we'll get to hear a little bit more about what's going on down in their office, because I'm sure you are all tired of listening to the Office of Civic Engagement. So I'll pass it over to PJ, since she's our newest member on our executive order, to talk a little bit about the AS Review and the history of the Associated Students. Yeah, I'm PJ Houston. I'm the editor-in-chief of the AS Review for this 2020-2021 year. I, I came to Western a couple of years ago and very quickly after started working last year as the assistant editor for the AS Review and very rapidly had to start to pick up the pieces of, you know, what is this organization that I'm working for? What is my role within this organization as, as a journalist, as a student journalist? In that role really started to talk to a lot of different students and develop an understanding of just how people feel about the AS. And especially after the BSO demands and the letters that were written last summer, really quickly realized that it's an organization that's let a lot of students down um, and that a lot of people feel really frustrated with, especially the black, indigenous and other students of color on campus. And that I think has started a lot of really insightful and hopefully really productive conversations from people who feel that students of color have really just been left out of both those conversations and of the AS and like are actively being excluded. But I don't know, I just think that we've started a lot of really important conversations both at the review and also between offices, which is sort of what I think this podcast is doing today is starting some of those conversations between a, a lot of different people in the AS. I definitely feel that. I came to the AS my freshman year at Western a few months in, um, and I just felt like I dove right in. Um, I came from like a conservative background at a high school because my parents are in the military. And so coming to Western was one, a culture shock. And then a few months in joining the AS was yet another one. And I didn't feel like there was any like preparation throughout the process for like having these conversations especially since I dove in without like any training as a student senator. Student senators don't start training like with any training. Typically, like the rest of the AS staff um, generally does a training at the beginning of the year, but we weren't included on that. So the first training I had to really like talk about these issues would have been in winter quarter and we didn't really dive into it at all. And so I think that's part of the problem is just we've never had in-depth discussions about these things, or we'll have them like really separated discussions. Like I remember winter quarter training, all of the BIPOC identifying individuals were separated and then all the white people were in a separate conversation, which was beneficial in some ways, but I don't think we just deeply dived in enough on the issues. But yeah, I think that's where it starts is like training. And I think Western needs to do more training for students when they arrive, which Jude is really advocating for right now in the legislators with diversity, equity, and inclusion training. That would have been super beneficial and it would have benefited us a lot um, during hiring and as an AS as a, as a whole. When I was doing some research for this podcast, I don't remember the last two years, basically what Western has done to celebrate Black History Month. 
My first year Western, I don't remember anything at all. And then last year, the only thing I remember from it was all of the photos that were taken. They were hung in the library and around campus of black students and black professors at Western. And I think that was the most impactful thing that I've seen at Western really like centering in on um, what black students and black faculty are bringing to our campus as a whole. When I was thinking about my first year at Western, I was like, there must have been something. So I went back through the Western Todays, um, which is, if you don't know, uh, if you don't go to the school, it's basically like an update of all the events that are happening that day. So I went back to 2019 and sure enough, there was really like only one event and it was put on by um, the dance department at Western celebrating Black History Month. And so I went back another year and just so you know, I'm not an archivalist, so I didn't do super in-depth research, but just on the surface level, if you're a student walking around campus and you don't see anything celebrating Black History Month, then what is that, like what message does that send? It's just, it's sending a message that we're not supporting uh, Black students on this campus. We're not celebrating their achievements. They're not recognized as a, part, a real part of campus. I think. And I think Western's trying to take steps along that way, like with naming the dormitory on campus after the first Black student at Western. That's a fantastic step, but that only came after, you know, all of the events happening this summer. Um, why have we never named any buildings before after a Black student at Western? So yeah, I think, I think we've made some steps, but we're definitely not all the way there yet. And just seeing all the Black History Month events that are happening this year, why haven't we like at least attempted to do more in the past. What we're doing right now is just basically compensating from failing, which is what the AS has said we're doing as well. So very honestly, and this is like me speaking from like my perspective, when I see stuff happening at Western, like naming the dorms after a black student and removing like, you know, folks trying to remove Huxley from the College of Environments name. I'm like, yeah, like that's all cool and stuff. But man, does that change how I'm experiencing my campus that much? Like, not really, if I'm being honest. And as much as it's like fun and I'm like, I'm never going to say like, don't do that. It just blows my mind how much time and paperwork and planning and forums it takes to do something that is so, so simple that like, honestly, the same way that it's named after racist white men or just another white person in Western's history, like in an ideal world, I feel like we shouldn't have to purposefully like do changes like that and purposefully I don't know pick through the names because you know someone one day just went college of the environment we're going to name it Huxley college of the environment that was it that was all it took and yet so much student labor and like student of color energy and time goes into these really simple changes and it's made me think about like okay how can we save time and labor of the folks that are doing this work. And that's where I think that a lot more needs to be done at actually looking at the policies that make this process so arduous, that make simple changes that we're like, yeah, that makes sense. Students should feel safe. And here's a way they want us to do it. Like the fact that it is so hard to make those changes suggests that there's something wrong inherently with the whole university structure and the pol uh, policies that are actually within it. So I'm like, yeah, change the names, name it after Black students. Cool. But 
you know, is this actually going to affect, you know, the mental health of Black students? Are they actually going to feel safer? And the answer, and like my experience is no. It's just more evidence that we need to actually start like rewriting laws and like rewriting policies. And there have to be people that look and go, okay, what's the impact of this policy that we think doesn't matter? And then it's like, oh, it excludes like these students. It prevents this positive change from happening. And that's what I don't see happening on campus and with a lot of the work the administration does. There are a lot of amazing resources for students of color, queer students, disabled students, undocumented, like indigenous students of color. But at the end of the day, it's like, are those resources putting more energy into just trying to ensure the basic safety and like survival? Or like, don't we want to see them going past talking about those issues and actually like celebrating accomplishments and victories and and just trying to enjoy college? I think we've all like at least made a a note or at least you both have about the trainings. And I wish that I remembered more from like last year's training. I really don't like this, the year and a half has been so incredibly long for so many people. But like with this year, especially, I feel like a lot of these conversations that get started, at least in like the spaces that I've been, which I will say are like predominantly white, like I, I am a white student, but a lot of a lot of the conversations that I like participate in and I'm hearing really sort of start and stop with the like, we've done all these things wrong, like, how are we going to do better? And people, they all agree, they're like, we have done these things wrong, we're participating in the structure, both within the AS and within the university, and within Bellingham and within the, every, everywhere, it's everywhere, that we're like, this is harming students, this is harming, you know, the students that we claim to want to protect and want to help. And then we go, wow, that sucks now what? And I think that from in my own experience, like you get hung up in the like, now what? It's, it is really overwhelming, especially when you're hearing about things that like I've never experienced that you get sort of the the phrase white guilt gets thrown around. And I I think that that is a really easy place to get stuck. Um, I know that I at least get frustrated hearing these same conversations happen over and over again. And I think that as a white student who wants to help, like I I do really genuinely want to help, but I do find myself getting stuck in those places that I know one thing that I I think a lot about, especially in like my role with the AS Review is, you know, how how can I make genuine and honest change that that isn't just sort of like tokenizing the experiences of students of color and specifically like journalists like to use the phrase, like I want to give a voice to the voiceless but it, it, it is like, it, it's that is, you're just tokenizing them. Like, I, I don't know the best way as like a white editor-in-chief to tell my like white passing and white identifying writers to go talk to students of color to tell their stories in a way that is like genuine and authentic. Because it, when all is said and done, like I can't tell those stories. The writers, for the most part, can't tell those stories that it's like we we sort of just end up going in circles being like we want to help and we want to like have these students be able to share their stories and their experiences in a place where they like haven't been able to in the past but it's like you just sort of get stuck there and that's I think um, at least in my in what I can perceive is the AS and Western and the Bellingham communities it's sort of we just feel kind of stuck. I definitely feel that and I think it 
starts with taking better records of things. Because I don't think in the AS we take good legacy docs ourselves, especially as students, we like migrate through pretty fast. Someone made a really good point at the beginning of this year that like student employees don't often stick around for a second year. And so that means that all of that knowledge that was built accumulated over the course of that year is gone. <clears throat> and if you also don't haunt behind like a legacy doc documenting what happened that year, it's really hard to like ever get anywhere. Salome brought up a really good point last year as the ASVP for activities that, you know, we had maybe three or four black students in the, the entire hired AS pool one of them being Jude. And the Black people that were hired was like Salome, who was an elected position, and then like two people on the Senate. And then the rest of the positions were hired, but they were hired for really like low level positions. And so like we talked about trying to change that hiring wise, but I haven't seen like like a, a change in the hiring process to the extent like we, we changed the process by removing names and it got a little bit better for hiring of the AS president this year. I hope that we see that system put in place this year for like all people that are applying to the AS. But it's really hard to say that there's something like there's not anything going wrong when the results kind of speak to themselves that, you know, we have so few people and they're like not entrusted positions or like their their positions aren't valued enough. So that was, I think, one thing that glaringly stood out to me after she said it, but I didn't notice it before. And that's because I'm a white person. So I didn't, I just didn't see it. One thing that I have thought about a lot with regards to like AS positions too, is that both jobs that I've had, the first being a board assistant, and then now being the director of legislative affairs, someone like pushed me into it for sure like the like Ada was there when I got hired as a board assistant I was like a total mess I was abroad and I just kept missing the calls because the time difference and plane rides and all that stuff but I had only even decided like oh wait I can go for that because I had several people saying like, hey, this is an open position, like Jude, like you should do it. You're, you know, members of the board, like it's going to be a good workplace, like go and do it. And so I was like, yeah, okay, why not? I could use a second job. But then getting into this position, which was higher level, what really got me into it was just a lot of people last year being like, hey, you're a board assistant, you would be so qualified for director of legislative affairs position where you go lobby in Olympia. And I was like, no, I'm not. But it was really surprising that like people that I had kind of known, kind of worked with, but not really, were the ones that were coming up to me and saying like, hey, you should apply for this position. Like I remember Nicole, who is the uh, ASBP for Gov now, was one of those people where I talked to her for like the first time ever. And she was like, you're amazing. And you should absolutely apply for this job. You would be so overqualified. You know, everything you have to apply. And I was like, I have talked to you two times, maybe. So I would say one thing that I think that AS could really work on is not like pushing people, but giving folks more opportunity to like interact with us in our positions and finding ways to give students that opportunity to ask questions and then be able to give them feedback um, because I think it really helps 
when I'm trying to convince someone to apply for a job and I can, you know, kind of say like, you know, you, you're studying this and you have this experience from a job you did in high school and this club that you're doing is going to be really good experience for this perspective. Like I, I think if there's more opportunities for us to talk up students, I think just definitely making sure to celebrate achievements that you see and, you know, like referring people almost, because I think that that really is how I, I feel a lot of folks get jobs in the AS is they like hear from someone like, oh, it's flexible scheduling and the pay is like, like minimum wage or higher and it's a good deal. And so then you kind of get in and then you're like, oh, this is like a whole system. This is a job job. And you learn that like you can change policies and create programming and make change. But I think like that's just something that's not advertised with working in the AS. The AS review is a little bit different than some of the other offices because we don't hold like in-person or even online events. We talk about the events after they happen. Um, and I did a little bit of looking. Um, last year, we we got sort of the full list of events that were covered. And I think I ended up publishing about two or three of the, the events that happened. Um, there was a dance performance that we that we looked at, I believe a movie screening. But I know this time last year was sort of as COVID anxieties and fears and concerns were beginning to really manifest in the community. And so a lot of, I think the work that we had hoped to do on that, especially later in the month, got a bit overshadowed by the pandemic and then eventually moving online in March. This year, again, unfortunate situation in a way in that um, our, our writing staff is very new. And when I say very new, I mean, they've been working for two weeks now. And so we are really just now trying to pick up stories and do some coverage, which puts us in an in a unfortunate situation and that our ability to cover sort of the things that other offices are doing for Black History Month, as well as looking into sort of topics and stories of our own is a little bit difficult just because our writers are still being trained on how to write. But as per usual, we are actively publicizing events that are going out on our website and a bit on social media, and then hoping to use um, a podcast episode or two of our own this month to talk to some students of color, specifically Black students on campus, if possible. Everything is currently very in the works, though, which is not what I would love to see, but the reality of the situation right now. But that's where we are. Yeah, I think... Looking back, I don't remember what the, cause like our office has changed names, obviously. So we're the Office of Civic Engagement now. We were the Office of yes. Representation Engagement Programs. And we really didn't have, I think the staff last year to put on a lot of events. Um, we hosted uh, Jesse Moore, who was a speechwriter for the Obama administration, but I don't, don't believe that was during February, but I think that's the only speaker that we had. And I don't remember us doing any programming specifically around Black History Month last year. I'm also new to the office this year, so I don't have like a lived memory of last year. And then this year, we're just doing a lot of programming on our social media around trying to do education-based work. Um, and we're doing over $200 of gift cards to Black-owned student businesses, local restaurants, and buying one book from a Black-owned bookstore in Seattle, which I'm really excited about. 
Um, and we're having one speaker, Christina Martins, who is a local activist within the community. So that'll be on February 25th. But I think like the BSO demand specifically that we're talking about is changing our AS office events. And if you were looking in on the AS office events over the last few years, there hasn't really been that many events that we've like hosted during Black History Month or like with throughout the year around these these issues, which is unfortunate. And I think it goes back to the record keeping thing. Like you can't tell that there's a problem. Well, you can, but it's much harder to tell that there's a problem if unless you're like viewing it over like a few years or you see the whole year in perspective. I think as students, we get really caught up in like just trying to live day by day with homework and school and all the stressors that are on that. And I think it's up to our administrators to help us kind of see some of the bigger picture and for us to be able to help hold them accountable by being able to have some of that historical record. And I think that's what what we're missing. I think too, um, absolutely worth noting that events about or events that feature Black speakers or focus on Black art don't just have to be held during Black History Month. Like, yes, that is the time to actively celebrate like the Black students in our community and Black stories. But at the same time, they don't, Black people don't just exist during Black History Month. Um, There are 12 months in the year and the other 11 shouldn't be like, quote unquote, dedicated to white people. We don't need months to ourselves. Yeah, those, those events and those like stories can be told year round and they should be. And I think that that is another thing that this sort of BSO demand specifically speaks to as well. For sure. And I think it is cool to like see the ways that the calendar for this year versus last year of events and activities and speakers and um, and programming does change. And I am definitely appreciative um, of like folks that like really are mindful and like thoughtful when it comes to planning these events and finding ways to really make sure that it is providing like a positive impact and it's like you know something that like directly contributes to black community members and it's almost like a good month of intensive practice Um, so maybe we can like build these good habits into our records and our policies um, and they can like actually really flourish from here on out. I think that leads into the next one, which is individually admit our wrongdoings um, and specifically like talking about Black Lives Matter and racial injustices globally. I think that especially applies to our office, the Office of Civic Engagement. And I don't think we've done enough in the past of like taking a specific stance. Like we're, our agendas have always been, I think, pretty progressive, but we only fight during the legislative session for those things. I think part of that is just we've gotten better about, you know, actually focusing on our social media presence and sending out things like we couldn't like just put posters around campus with like informational stuff and call it good in the past. But yeah, I think it's important, even though for our office, we're supposed to be nonpartisan um, to take stances on issues um, where they relate to these things, just because it's become maybe easier to support Black Lives Matter as a movement because it was so publicized during the summer doesn't mean that we should stop doing it and going farther than that as well. I think your comment there about, you know, like historically needing to be like a bipartisan um, or a nonpartisan, I suppose, 
office, that was a big thing that we talked about sort of spring of last year within the review. Um, and we ended up putting a story out towards the end of the year that I believe was titled White Journalists, It's Not Bias, It's Ethics, where the writer Mackenzie broke down sort of the four pillars sort of, of, of like ethical journalism and how within each of those, you have a commitment to all of the people that you are telling stories for and how it's not biased, you know, to support the Black Lives Matter movement. Like it's the foundation of ethics. But that's been a, that's an issue sort of that like is constantly, at least in my mind, is it's like putting stories out where, you know, I'm not going to get sued for putting out incorrect information. Uh, but at the same time, like I have a commitment as a journalist and as a person to, you know, supporting what is sort of morally and ethically sound. And I don't think that, you know, staying silent on these issues is the moral or ethical choice. Like we have a commitment to supporting things that students care about and telling student stories and those directly overlap with the social, social and political movements of the current moment. But with that as well, and with like this specific BSO demand, I think that a lot of, I sort of mentioned it earlier, but a lot of our conversations sort of start and end with like, we've done these things wrong. That's bad. Um, instead of pointing out specific things and apologizing to specific people for specific actions that, you know, it, it's really easy to post something on social media or put out like a letter of solidarity and be like, we support you and we're sorry for what we've done, done wrong in the past. We'll do better. It's a lot harder to really sit down and identify what have I done personally, not like my office historically, um, not like the editor-in-chief six years ago like what am I doing right now that's causing harm because while maybe just sitting here right now I can't list off anything but I like I almost guarantee that if I were to sit down and really think about it you know I am a white student in a leadership position in an organization that a lot of black students and other students of color are really upset with um, like I guarantee that I'm doing some things wrong which isn't the fun thing to say, especially in a place where it might be public, but like, you know, I need to sit down. And I think that a lot of students need to sit down and think, what am I doing and how can I do better? And then how am I going to do better? Not just like, what could I theoretically do? Like, what am I going to do to actually make these changes that I'm thinking about? Like, I don't want to sit here and feel guilty. Like no one does but I think it's a lot more productive to really center ourselves on the specifics and work forward actively from there. I think it would be helpful to talk about um, action we've maybe taken this year, action we're planning on taking this year to work on some of these things. And we're obviously gonna link the, the BSO demands within the bio, because this episode is really about not only discussing them, but trying to create more campus knowledge about them to hold us all accountable to actually realizing these and others. I know the exec board has like provided updates um, of where they're at. And if you wanna check that out, if you look on the executive board, WWAS website, there's a whole section on it that you can go check out. I know for the first one, evaluate our hiring process. I have had discussions with our office as a whole about what in a perfect world hiring would look like for all of us. And I brought those discussions up with Casey, who is our um, advisor and also the advisor to the personnel council. So I found that that would be um, beneficial 
for us as a group. Um, we've discussed the BSO demands and we like check in with them. Quarter, I'm hoping to have a discussion at the end of this quarter to see where we're at, thinking about how successful this month will be going um, and how we can incorporate um, more programming in the future on these issues. I also think part of the issue is that we're just not connected enough as like an organization. Um, so sitting down to have discussions like this, I think are really important. So my personal goal is to work with every office on one program or something of some sort throughout the year. I think we're stronger together. And um, so that's one of one of my goals. Changing our office events, I've definitely sitting down with that. I, I've also provided, I'm a, I'm a director as well, advising students. Um, I try to send out like an anonymous survey every quarter, like asking what I can do better and providing examples of what I could do better on and then saying, which of these do you want me to prioritize uh, moving forward? And I also like to start at the beginning of every conversation with like, if you're, you feel uncomfortable approaching me, you can go to XYZ, these people as well. So I think those are definite steps that directors or people in positions of power can take because we, we're not, we're none of us are perfect. And so providing the option of being able to have like some form of learning. In terms of my position, I actually like had a moment where I was like, wait a second, it's like the middle of the year, I need to step back and I need to like actually look at like what I am doing and what I want to do with regards to advocating legislatively for Black communities, Indigenous communities, um, and like POC communities, as well as other communities like of intersecting identities. And one thing that I am working on is just reaching out to more organizations that have student populations um, that are coming from a diverse set, like an actually diverse set of organizations um, and just keep track of those resources and those contacts. Because even in like the AS where about like half of my work capacity is in and then with like the Washington Student Association, which is kind of the time, like the other half of my work time, even in that space too, like that's something that like I've definitely struggled with is that they're like, we talk a lot about how to make an inclusive space, but at the same time, like I'm always just kind of recognizing like, oh yeah, like there's it's a lot of white people in this chat. But at the same time, I do have like in both places, very supportive coworkers that like are really doing the most to uplift like me and and like showcase my work. And so I'm really appreciative to like have that kind of good energy. And like my hope is that that like continued good energy is going to give me like the inspiration and the energy and the and the capacity to try to really get more Black students in particular involved in these events and these organizations and in just like advocacy in general. Definitely with this year, I went into the year with a lot of hopes and a lot of goals and a lot of things, especially after spending all summer basically thinking about like what I wanted to do if I hypothetically got hired. 
And so I, I had a lot of big plans and then fall quarter happened. And I very much was personally sort of in like survival mode for a variety of reasons. But now, now I, I like, I'm like, wow, we are objectively halfway through the year, like Jude said. And so I sat down and was like, what, what are at least some of the things looking forward that I either can make happen or set up sort of the framework to make happen for future editors in chief. And one of the big, one of the biggest things that I think is like very possible at least is finding a way to sort of improve the student submission process within the AS review. We have like a core set of writers, but not very many. And a big thing that we talk about is wanting to diversify the stories that are being told. And it's really hard to do that with a really limited writer base. And so making the process of having students submit their own work is something that I, I really and wanting to focus on as time continues. But with that as well, trying to find a way to compensate students for that writing, it feels really unfair of me to want to have students just send me their things for free to publish while I'm getting paid to publish them and they aren't, and they did all of the hard work. So that that's more of a logistics challenge than like an actual implementation challenge. It's super easy to just be like, send me your work and I'll pay you for it. But of course, there's some hoops that I need to at least try and jump through to make that happen. And then, of course, I'm wanting to go through and reevaluate a lot of sort of like the, the informational documents that we keep, both a legacy document for whoever is in my actual position, um, but also just the AS Review has, we have a lot of informational documents. And I want to go through those and see you know, our guidelines for language and our guidelines for style, you know, how do we tell people to interview other students? Because those are all ways that we actively interact with the community. Um, and so if we're going about those in the wrong ways, then we're just actively severing ties with people who we want to trust and we want to have trust us. So looking a lot more on sort of the, the behind the scenes stuff, um, which is kind of nice in a way, given that this year is going to be fully online and fully remote, just looking, how can I set up future, future staffs of the AS Review uh, for success, you know, because I didn't, I didn't, I didn't get to have the years that I hoped that I would have. And so I'm wanting to help set up future writers and future editors to be able to do a lot of really awesome and really productive work within the community. Yes, I definitely don't think this year was all that we had hoped. But I think each of our respective positions have gotten very creative with what we have been doing with our work. Well, thank you for joining us for this conversation around the Black student demands and Black History Month as a whole, what we can do better as the associated students. If you have any ideas or would like to input anything, feel free to always contact our Instagram, which is ASWW underscore OCE. If you have any comments and please enter in our um, giveaways we're giving away this month and educate yourself in the process. So thanks. This has been Ada and Jude and PJ talking about BSO demands. We will link them in the bio. Join us next week for another exciting episode.